Good morning, everybody. My name is Prad Shaker, CEO uh, and co-founder of Skylight Health. I wanted to spend some time this morning going over uh, the concept of value-based care. There's been a lot of questions from some of our investors and shareholders uh, on understanding the value-based care concept and ultimately what this really means for Skylight. So I'm going to go through a short presentation here just to uh, highlight some of the key features of the value-based care model um, and the reasons and how to think about Skylight's participation within the space. So as we start off, one of the things I'd like to clarify initially is sort of talking about the shift from fee-for-service to value-based care that we highlight as one of the key drivers of the Skylight business as part of our acquisition thesis of primary care clinics in the U.S. The traditional fee-for-service model, just to highlight over again some of the basics here, is a model that reimburses physicians on an encounter basis. Now, in the U.S. market, payers are usually insurance companies, and insurance companies reimburse physicians for services rendered to patients. And patients will, based on the health plan and based on the commercial insurer that they carry, those plans will reimburse a certain dollar amount. And so the way to think of fee-for-service model is that every time a patient comes in, the physician bills for the visit. If the physician sees 40 visits a day, they could technically earn more than if they see 20 visits a day. And so it's largely a volume-driven model. One of the challenges with the fee-for-service model, although it's created access, is really that fee-for-service has less, has less accountability at the end of the day. And so when we talk about health outcomes, we're talking about the health of a patient. How can you keep and manage patients with chronic care conditions? How do you keep patients healthy and prevent chronic care conditions? Um, and when we look at health outcomes, you really start to need to focus on a, spe a specific patient need. In a fee-for-service model, the reason we're seeing a shift happen to value-based care is because in a fee-for-service model, again, the time spent with the patient isn't aligned with the, with the necessary time required to focus on the specific patient needs. In a value-based care model, it's all about creating incentives and bonuses to augment that time so that the physician can spend and invest on patient-centric care. Now, if successful, and as it's proving to be successful, value-based care can lead to improved outcomes. And on improved outcomes, we ultimately lead to an overall reduction in healthcare cost. We can look at value-based care in sort of two key buckets. The first one is what we call as a fee-for-service plus pay-for-performance or fee-for-service and shared savings. Uh, and the other bucket is capitation. Now, it doesn't mean that value-based care comes in one form or just the other, and there's a combination of both. And, and oftentimes, these are usually based on the health plans uh, that you're working with. But just to cover uh, the highlights of both buckets here. So in a fee-for-service shared savings model, uh, a physician continues to earn fee-for-service revenue, which means every time the patient comes in, they continue to bill. However, they're augmented in terms of a model that can either benefit from a per member per month capitation fee, and this can be something as little as two to three dollars per member per month, or it could be substantially more. And effectively, the goal with this capitation fee is to offset the fee-for-service revenue and volume by allowing the physician to feel more comfortable spending time with their patient. Another model with shared savings is what we see with the Medicare shared savings model, where uh, as an example, with the ACO model that Skylight Health has entered into, physicians can generally create savings through a combination of both creating better health outcomes, but also sharing in the savings that they realize as a result of lowering those healthcare costs. In a capitation model, uh, opposite to the fee-for-service model, it's really based on a fixed fee per member per month. And again, this fee can largely depend on a number of factors. Uh, it can depend on the level of risk you're taking. It can depend on the type of payer and program under which you're contracting and the health plan. 
But ultimately, the capitation model is intended to provide the physician comfort in not having to focus on seeing a certain volume of patients a day, but rather focusing on the quality of each of those visits. And as we see in capitation, one of the fastest growing sectors here uh, is the Medicare global capitation model. Now, as we look at the value-based care risk continuum, um, you look across the left at no risk participation all the way to the right of global risk. And it's important to understand that this is really a systemic growth model that needs to be controlled and managed because there are risks for both the physician as well as the industry if unsuccessful. When we look at the left at the no risk participation, this represents, first of all, one of the broadest market of physician participation today. Physicians here only benefit from fee-for-service. There is very little participation in shared savings, in per-member, per-month capitation models, and physicians are ultimately not responsible for downstream costs and health outcomes on their patients. Moving from a no-risk participation to a single-sided risk participation means that the physicians here are taking their first step into value-based care. In a single-sided risk model, physicians can participate in fee-for-service, they can participate in capitation, or as I spoke about earlier, they can have a combination of both. Effectively, the goal here in a single-sided risk program is to be able to measure health outcomes more effectively, and as a result, focus on patient-centric care, which will ultimately drive down costs. And the benefit to the physician is that participation in these models can allow them to see a shared savings as part of those costs that they help to, cost savings they help to bring to the payer or the plan. For example, in the Medicare shared savings model, you get up to 40% savings for the benefit that you can bring to Medicare patients under your plan. Moving from a single-sided risk agreement, the next step up is full risk. And so the way to think about full risk is it's a single-sided risk model with a higher shared savings. So effectively in a Medicare shared savings model, you can get up to 75%, but a result of getting more of the savings means that you're now responsible for some of the downside costs. And so if, for example, the revenue of a patient is not managed effectively and ultimately it costs the system more money, then you could be liable for those expenses. And that's what we refer to as downstream risk. And so in a full risk model, certainly there's better upside, but there's also an introduction of downside. And so the physician needs to be ultimately comfortable with taking on that risk, knowing the metrics on their patients and being able to manage their patients effectively. Moving from full risk, you can move into global risk. And under global risk, this is where we typically see most peers today in the value-based care space. The difference between full risk and global risk is ultimately in global risk, physicians are responsible for the full cost of patient care. The way to think about this is health plans will typically get funding from CMS and they'll flow through the majority of that funding to the provider group. And the provider is ultimately responsible for the benefits and savings or costs that they'll result in that patient care. And so if you think about the level of sophistication and global risk, more than just full risk where you're responsible for a portion of that downstream, now you're responsible for all of those downstream costs. And so you really need to be careful and methodical in your approach to global risk, ensuring that you have all the right infrastructure to be successful in that model. Sometimes it helps to look at numbers to really understand what this ultimately means and how these economics translate for an organization investing in value-based care. So to preface, these numbers are really just here for illustrative purposes, and we're going to use whole rounded numbers here to try and outline for you some of the ways to look and model how value-based care can play out in the long term for a company like Skylight or for other companies in the value-based care space. So I'm going to go through this sort of one by one, so I apologize that this will seem a little bit longer than some of my other presentations, but I think it's an important aspect to get across. So where we're going to start with here is on the no-risk model, and we're going to focus initially on the number of Medicare lives. 
And under the Medicare Life, uh, and so under the Medicare Life uh, count, you've got about 5,000 patients. And we're just gonna use this as a whole rounded number of the number of patients that we can assess here. Percentage of shared savings represents here what the shared savings would be under a uh, model of uh, both a Medicare shared savings plan, for example, as to what an organization thinks they're going to achieve as part of an annual savings for that plan. The past year expected patient cost. Now we're going to use a number here of approximately 10,000 per year per patient, which is a number that's generally aligned with what we've seen historically in the past from data from CMS. And this is the cost of a patient across the entire health space. And so this could be hospital visits, pharmacy, uh, clinical visits, specialty visits, et cetera. And so 10,000 a year times 5,000 patients, we look at an expected annual cost of about $50 million. The past year fee-for-service revenue, this is based on a number of 390 per year per visit. Again, we're using rounded numbers that come off data to suggest that the average revenue per patient in a fee-for-service model in Medicare, for example, um, is roughly about 390 per year. And so we end up with an average revenue. Now, as you can see in a no-risk model, because you're not participating in any upside uh, risk, your revenue really at the end of the day is going to remain the same. And so in a no-risk model, it's common to what we see today with most of our practices. Um, you're, uh, you're remaining within fee-for-service only, and that's largely where the revenue gets generated. Now, when you shift to a single-sided risk agreement, assuming that in the first year you're able to get to 10% or the first two years you're able to save 10% of shared savings, um, you net at the end of the day a total um, expected shared savings amount. In this case, uh, when we take 10% of the savings of 50 million, minus what CMS claims is their minimum benchmark of savings, um, you end up with approximately $4 million in savings. And if that organization is generating 40% of those savings, because in a single-sided risk agreement, it's 40% of shared savings, your expected net revenue at the end of the year purely just from the savings is 1.6. The additional component to this is generally under a risk model, you can expect to be reimbursed a premium on fee-for-service revenue. So in this case, we're gonna choose 120%. And so the opportunity in a single-sided risk agreement to see elevated economics with the result of investment is both the increased percentage of fee-for-service revenue, in this case, 2.3 million, plus the expected net shared savings model from 40% of the savings, which is 1.6. And so at the end of the year, the 1.9 million in a no-risk model shifting to a single-sided risk model can generate 3.9 million, so nearly double. As you shift to full risk, again, you see the participation of a greater shared savings, and so that results in a greater shared savings revenue, and as a result, you see a further increase in the same patient base of 5,000. And so as you can see, shifting over to the right, the same patient count allows the, the practitioner and the provider group to realize increased economics but again, the expectation that that's allowing the provider group to focus on patient care and ultimately drive pa better patient outcomes. Now, as you shift over to global risk, one of the ways to look at global risk today is under the Medicare um, Advantage plans, which is ultimately where most of the peers in the space are playing today. A Medicare Advantage plan on a capitation model can be seen at approximately 12,000 per member per year. And so the same 5,000 patients under a global capitation plan could yield a significantly higher amount of revenue. Now, of course, this is ultimately what everybody is striving to achieve to. However, we need to recognize that it is not just contribution to the bottom line. There is a significant amount of cost, infrastructure, and time that is spent to build the experience to succeed under global risk, but certainly the direction that companies like Skylight are driving towards. And as you can look at the total number of Medicare lives, 
as you increase the Medicare lives over time, you will see both an increase in economics as a result of the shift over to global risk. But ultimately, the way to think about it today is what percentage of patients sit within the population that would fall under a program like Medicare, and what percentage of those patients will be able to shift into a global risk Medicare Advantage plan such that those economics will translate into significantly higher unit economics than what you see today on a no-risk primary care clinician group. And this is where we see the largest opportunity to both bring positive health outcomes to these patients by enabling services and technology and infrastructure so that these patients can receive better health care, ultimately lead to improved cost savings. And then as you're improving those cost savings and those metrics, demonstration to the payers and to CMS that as an organization, Skylight has the capability to be able to manage more risk and ultimately take on the total cost of care under the global risk model. So I hope this was helpful in illustrating some of the overall um, frameworks of the model and how to maybe think about value-based care. Again, um, take these numbers for illustrative purposes. Obviously, many of the questions that will be coming uh, and have come have always been around, well, what do you think about the growth model in terms of Medicare lives? How long do you think it could take to global risk? And the response here really is, it has to be a staged approach. And as many of you have identified, Skylight really is on an aggressive growth plan, both by way of acquisition, as well as in some cases, organic growth. So as we continue to focus on both increasing the number of patients under managed care programs, and this is an example of one of the programs, Medicare Advantage and uh, traditional Medicare, but we're also focusing on building that infrastructure and gaining the expertise to be able to shift over uh, from no risk practices to single risk to full risk and then ultimately to global risk. So thank you all for taking the time to uh, listen to today's presentation. Uh, hopefully it was helpful. And again, if there's any questions, um, I invite you to please email us at investors at skylighthealthgroup.com. Thank you.